Hey, this is Adam. You've been hearing a lot about my home projects lately with my home theater build out. But on this week's Smart Home Show, we're going to dive into what Richard has been up to in his home over the last year. I really enjoyed hearing an update about what he's been up to, and I think you will enjoy it too. Hey everyone, I'm Richard Gunther from the Digital Media Zone. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. I'm joined, as usual, by my friend Adam Justice from ConnectSense. Hey, Adam. Hey, Richard. How are you? I'm doing well. And, you know, we like to check in periodically and what we've been doing on our respective smart home projects. We know what you've been doing. You've been building a home theater. We've been talking about that. We've been talking about that for a good long time. Meanwhile, I have been doing some stuff in my home. So we're going to use this episode to catch up on what smart home stuff I've been playing with or using in my home. Awesome. But as always, we like to open each episode with a question. So my question for Richard is, what's your favorite movie? And I'll give you a pass if you don't have just one and you can pick a couple, but... That's the question. I'm glad that you added that uh, disclaimer at the end or whatever you want to call that, that extra help there, because I don't really have one favorite movie. And also, my favorite movie is not something deep or heavy or something like that. Most of my favorite movies are comedies or even somehow related to Disney I would say that one of my favorite movies is Clue. I don't know if you remember this from the 80s. It was a screwball comedy adaptation of the game Clue with many kind of stars from the 80s. And it was just a very, very fun movie. Actually came out with three different endings. And if you saw it in the theater you would end up seeing one of three endings. Oh, wow. And you never knew which one you were going to see. So (laughs) pretty clever the way they did that. Then when it came out on video, you had the opportunity to just skip and see all of the endings right in a row, which was kind of fun as well. So that's one of them. Another one is The Princess Bride, another comedy classic story type of thing. I do love that. Uh, On the Disney side... Ratatouille is probably among my favorites of the Disney movies. Although I'm also a fan of Miyazaki movies. And there have been so many good Miyazaki movies distributed by Disney. That's why I mentioned the Disney tie-in there. It's really hard to pick one there, but I I, I like a ton of his stuff. So yeah, I'd love, I'd love to say something like it's To Kill a Mockingbird or something really significant like that, but no. No. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, the reason I gave a multiple option is because I don't really have one answer either. And I don't even know if I have, I don't know, some of my go-tos and my explanation for the first one would be like, this is probably the thing I own in the most variations of media. And so it's like an instant rebuy every time it comes out in another form, which is The Matrix. Oh, yeah. Just a movie I love and was I went seeing with knowing very little and was just blown away and have enjoyed watching over and over again. 
your take on comedies made me think in that angle. I think one of my favorite comedies for sure is the movie Step Brothers with Will Ferrell. <laughs> I'm a big Will Ferrell fan. Elf being probably my favorite Christmas movie. And I don't know what else. I mean, the, then the list, you know, then there's probably like eight or 10 movies from, you know, beyond that. I think the way to think about this is like, what would you rewatch, you know, over and over again? Yep. There's probably a, a good list of 10 there that are movies I would I would watch over and over again. Yeah, I have probably about five or 10 that I would think of as like my top five or 10. And it's hard to say which of those would be favorite. I left out probably one of my more favorites, which is History of the World Part One and Mel Brooks film that is so wrong in so many ways. Not as wrong as some of his other old films, but yeah, it's very funny. I know my favorite drama-ish, maybe it's a dramedy. I don't know how much we've talked about how I love baseball, but I really love the movie Moneyball. And that's one I'll watch over and over again and enjoy the story, enjoy the comedic bits. There's a lot of just good, like, one-liners in there too and part of my love for baseball is is that movie for sure yeah yeah i can see that all right well if you want to submit a question for us to open the show with you can send that question by assigning it the hashtag ask adam and richard or by sending it to us at feedback at smarthome.fm all right so you're going to be doing a lot of talking this episode <laughs> Because uh, we're talking about your house and what you've been up to. But I think we're going to kind of go through this by category and talk about, you know, what you've done in each space. So let's start with your favorite category, which is lighting and lighting control. Oh, that's a little presumptuous, isn't it, Adam? No. <laughs> <laughs> is it not true? Of course it's true. Of course it's true. And you know, I'd be interested to find out as I'm talking about any of these things, if you've had experiences with any of these products too, because I know that sometimes we we look at similar products and we've been trying different things out or, or ending up with different products for different reasons. So that would kind of make this interesting. I'm going to start by talking about some of my security lighting I mentioned when I moved into this house the last time we did this, about this time last year, that the house we purchased already had ring floodlights and it had a ring doorbell at the front. So I've kind of added to that. I decided to stick with that since it was already in place. I brought it into HomeKit using HomeBridge. And so I've added some floodlights, the independent screw-in floodlights that you can buy from Ring that just go into any old socket. And I've added some motion sensors in the backyard. I also added a Ring wall light. And if you're not familiar with this, this is like a foot-wide light bar that has a pretty significant collector, if you will, for solar power. So it is largely, not entirely solar powered, because like with most of the ring things, unless it's getting amazing direct sunlight pretty much all the time, you're going to have to take it off and recharge it periodically. But this goes pretty well. I've had one of these on the side of our porch. 
it has a motion sensor on it. So if anybody walks into the backyard, this goes on. I actually had to crank the light down because it was so bright. I was worried about it glaring into our next door neighbor's bedroom window. So for a solar powered light, this thing is pretty impressive. Now I know you have the ring path lights at your home and other ring stuff around your home. Have you used any of their other lighting products? I've not used this wall light. I, I actually had to pull it up on my browser. I didn't even know what you were talking about. That's an interesting product. And yeah, might have some uses around my home. The main things we have are the security cameras with the two lights. We have two of those. I'm trying to think what that's, what's that called? I think that's just their floodlight, right? The yeah, their floodlight. floodlight. Yeah. So we have two floodlight cameras, one over our garage and one in our backyard. And I like those. And then I have a bunch of spotlight cams that one of these days I will get around to putting up <laughs> with the intention of kind of covering, having camera coverage of sort of all major angles of our property. Right. Right. So that's on my list of things to do. But yeah, we use their security. You know, I'm all in on their ecosystem. We use their security system. I think I have some other ring products in my bucket of shame of <laughs> things I need to do. The projects yet to be done. I think I have some outdoor sensors, stuff like that. But yeah, I'm a fan. Very cool. Now, Leviton came out with a bunch of new smart home devices last year. And I was pretty excited about these when they launched. So it's a second generation of their Decora smart line, which is Wi-Fi based. And it is compatible with pretty much everything. HomeKit and uh, Amazon and Google. So I bought a bunch of their different devices. I bought some dimmers. I bought some switches. They have these remote switches that I know I've talked about in the past that are just the paddle and you put them on the wall. They also came out with a smart dimmer sensor, which I love. It is a dimmer with a motion sensor built in and you can use them either together or through your smart home software you can operate them separately. You can have the sensor not have anything to do with that light, but maybe just report if there's motion in the area. Or you can set up the sensor to do one thing during the day and something else at night, like it has a separate setting for the nighttime brightness and what the time threshold would be for that. Pretty cool product. It is all of that stuff that I just talked about is actually exposed in HomeKit as elements in HomeKit that you can adjust as well. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that idea. And that would certainly be a simpler way to do some of the kind of motion sensing and light switching that I do, which today is a more complicated hue light bulb, hue motion sensor, and, you know, a Lutron Aurora kind of combo. This would get that job done in a more simple package. <laughs> yes, it is. It is a little simpler. It's all in one. It has the rocker on the side for the dim level. It has kind of a arced 
surface for the switch itself, and then the sensor is built in underneath that. I actually installed that in our powder room. I like the idea of lights going on, or more importantly, lights automatically going off in a powder room if they're left on. So I installed that in our powder room right off the living room, and that works pretty well in there. Now, Leviton already also came out with a scene controller that has four separate buttons on them. One of them controls a load, and the other three can be set to control scenes either through the Leviton app or through HomeKit to control any HomeKit scene. So I installed that in our bar and butler pantry area, and I actually sent away to get the engraved button set, which I think is really cheap. I think it costs like $20 to get an engraved button set for it. And so it's customized for the space. And I think I have one that says coffee time and one that says bars open and one that just says accent. And so those three options kind of call those different scenes that I set up. And then the fourth button switches a load. So I have that hooked to the overhead lights. And I also have a scene assigned to that so that when you turn the overhead lights on in that room, what you're really doing is you're triggering a clean scene. So it turns all the lights on in the room. I don't know if I talked about this before in the past on this show, but I am a big fan of having a clean scene, a cleaning scene for every room so that when you're cleaning a room, it's just one button or one command and all the lights that you have controllable in that space turn on full. Hmm. Sounds interesting. I had some old iDevices things sitting around that I haven't used in quite a while. So I ended up installing them one outside my recording studio and if you're familiar with the iDevices switches, you may recall that they have a little light, almost like a what I would call a pilot light inside the switch itself. Kind of like, you know, when you have a switch that's like a double outlet form factor where one of them is a switch and the other is a red light that goes on when the switch is on. And I kind of wanted that effect for my recording studio so that when I had the lights on, it meant that I was recording, but you can actually control the light separately. So I have a scene called recording that will turn the red light on in the switch and I can trigger that when I'm recording. And that way Edward knows, don't disturb me. I'm in the middle of something. And then I can turn that off or I have it go off automatically when I just paddle the switch off. And that switch doesn't just turn on the light in the room. It also triggers a scene that turns on, if you're watching the video version of this, all the stuff around me. So the hue lighting, the accent lighting, my key light that's in front of me, it turns all of that on as part of a scene that gets triggered when I use that switch. Nice. That seems handy. Yeah, for sure. Now, I've mentioned that I'm a big fan of sensors in different parts of the house. I love hue motion sensors. And if you have a space where the wall switch is not located in a place where it's not always going to be sensing the motion, 
then you sometimes do need that separate motion sensor like you were talking about, like you have in your pantry. Well, the motion sensor of choice for me is the Hue motion sensor. I've tried others. I'll talk about that in a bit. But for the Hue motion sensor, I set one up in the laundry and then I used just a dimmer, an old iDevices dimmer that I had on the wall. And I have tried so many different switches and dimmers and combined them with different sensors. And the Hue sensors are just faster than anything out there. There's just... yeah. <laughs> there's that's no competition. My, yep. That's been my experience too. And why that's what I use in those use cases. Yep. So I just have a sensor sitting on the top of the door jam and it looks into the room. And when someone walks a couple steps into the room, then the lights come on automatically and they go off after a couple of minutes. That works really well in a laundry space, especially if you're walking in with a basket of stuff and you, you don't want to have to be struggling for the light. And that's another one of those rooms where the light ends up getting left on and doesn't get turned off as often or readily as it should be. Oh, don't even get me started on lights being turned left on. Right. Well, again, that's one of the reasons that I put stuff on motion sensors is so that they will turn off. And I don't even have kids. That's just for us because we forget. Yes. Yeah. No, that's super helpful. And someday I'll get to light automation utopia where, you know, these things just happen automatically or they're all controllable. But yep, not there yet. Another thing that I had in uh, – see, I don't call it my bucket of shame. I call it my buckets of opportunity, and there are multiple buckets. There are multiple packing boxes full of things I haven't used yet. And I had an Aura 1 switch that I had reviewed previously, and I had that installed in my old home. I did take that out of the home when we moved because I was such a fan of it. Oro is the switch that has a screen on the paddle itself. So it operates like a normal paddle switch with a pivot in the center. And it also has controls on it. Well, Oro shut down, but the product still works and their servers are still up. So you can actually still set one of these up if you have it. And it will install, it will work. So I installed it in my workshop. Very happy with it. Some of the integrations are not working anymore. The integration with Ring isn't working, which is a shame because it acted as a doorbell ringer or a doorbell uh, alert. And that was kind of nice. But it still controls my Sonos stuff. And I haven't talked to their CEO recently to find out what the plan is in terms of how long they're going to keep that stuff running. But I'm surprised that it's still functioning fine and, and happy that it is. Right. Yeah. We have one of those in our house too. So I'll be sad when it stops working. Yeah, me too. Now I mentioned that I tried other sensors. Eve introduced a HomeKit motion sensor, a new motion sensor for HomeKit that also had thread built in, made a big deal of it last year. I pre-ordered some, had one working in my mudroom area down in the basement, and ultimately ended up putting a hue sensor in there. It just wasn't as reliable. It wasn't as fast. And every once in a while, it just 
fall off the network. That's frustrating. So, again, win for Hue. They seem to have the best product out there. I've been playing with a bunch of different smart plugs. I bought some TP-Link smart plugs, some plain old Wi-Fi TP-Link smart plugs. I've used them a couple places for lamps to use as more or less as timers more than anything else for different lamps around the house. I've also tried the TP-Link Tapo Matter smart plug. This was TP-Link's first matter-based smart plug, and they brought it out with the Tapo line, which is a, I think it's supposed to be an economy line, if I remember correctly, but this thing is tiny, tiny, tiny. It's a, it's a cute little matter smart plug. And I've also purchased some of the regular TP-Link matter smart plugs, which are bigger and suffer from the same problem that many smart plugs do, which is that when you plug one into one outlet, you can't use another one in the other outlet. It's just a very common form factor that we're all familiar with. And both of those matter devices have been completely unreliable. That's a shame. Yeah. Some of them I haven't been able to even get on the network standing right next to one of my HomePods. It's just ridiculous. So those are both thread devices. Those are both thread devices. Yes. Yeah. Bummer. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. For sure. I am a fan of Lutron stuff. I've mentioned that before. And I've also used a couple Lutron lamp controllers. One of the nice thing about the Lutron lamp controllers is that they have two plugs on them and they're dimmers. They're not just regular relays. So you can have your lamps kind of ramp on, ramp off, and then adjust the dim level as you would like to. You can set a preset on level. And the modules themselves that you plug into the wall even have buttons on them to control it if you wanted to. But I just have mine, again, on a timer. And then I have a Pico out on the table where we can control the lamp from there if we want to. So that's a nice way to control devices. I have a couple things around the house that use those. And then Lutron came out with a couple new devices over the last year. One of them is a Diva format dimmer. And I, I think I talked about this before, where the Diva format, which is a regular traditional paddle switch, but then has a slider next to it, and the slider adjusts the dim level. Yes. This is a much more common way of adjusting lights. And actually, isn't this what you ended up using in your project? Yes. I was going to say when we got to this section that the, these are the next thing I'm familiar with. Because, yeah, we used a combination of both the Diva and Claro light switches. Yeah. So the Claro is the relay version of this. It's just a switch. And then the Diva is the dimmer version. But both of these, instead of the Pico-like buttons on a wall switch, like you would have with the older Caseta switches, now these look and work more like traditional 
switches. So people in the household are more familiar with them. Yeah, I like them. I think they're a little bit cleaner looking and look a little bit nicer. And yeah, so that's basically what we did. We put in divas anywhere there was dimming and then claros on anything that was not dimming or didn't make sense to dim. Yep, that makes sense. Now, one of the things that I love about the Lutron Caseta products is that you can install them either in a uh, regular single pole circuit, meaning one switch, one device, or a three-way or multi-way circuit, meaning multiple switches, two or more switches to a device or set of devices. And you can do this in one of two ways. Either you can use their remote switches with one of their Claro or dimmer switches, or you can just install it with the existing switches that are in there, the existing panels, and it will work with that. Now, you won't be able to dim from those remote switches, and I don't even know if they're remote switch that they offer allows you to dim from the remote locations. Yeah, I believe it does. So yeah, this is what we did. So I mentioned Diva for dimming, Claro for just dumb on off lights. And then anywhere where we had a three-way circuit, we did the Claro smart accessory switch, Yep, which is nice because it is still hardwired. And I believe in the configuration, you can tell it what you want it to do. So it can either go to like what the last setting of the dimmer was, or it can always go to a certain level. You can kind of opt how you want it to behave. Nice. Nice. And the nice thing about that is that if you use their remote switch, then all your switches have the same appearance and behavior. But if you don't want that and you are happy just using the existing switches in your wall, you can do that too. You can just use one Claro or one dimmer in a three-way circuit with your existing switches, and that will work too. Now, the instructions for doing that are a little bit challenging. I had to wade through a 138-page long PDF to find the three-way instructions for installing that because you do have to change some wires, but... It works great, and it's a little cheaper than having to buy the existing remote switches. Yep. Folks know that I have been a fan of Insteon stuff for years and years. And while I don't operate an Insteon hub in my new home, I do have some Insteon devices in my new home. One of the cool things about Insteon is that you can pair devices to work with each other without them actually being part of a smart system. Now, you can kind of do this with sensors and switches in the Lutron line as well. You can do it with Picos. You can do it with sensors. But it's rare that people do that. Usually, that's part of a larger system. With Insteon, you can do things like have a sensor hooked to a light or have a scene controller hooked to a bunch of switches, and all those things will work without having to have a hub. You're just sending commands from one device to another all locally across your wiring, and it works great. 
So one of my favorite uses of Insteon switches and a sensor from Insteon is on closet doors where I have a switch for a closet on the outside. So I can't put a sensor switch on the inside. I could put a motion sensor inside, but instead they have a sensor called an, a hidden door sensor. And you basically just drill a hole in your door jam and insert this. It, it's about maybe twice the length of a AA battery and about the diameter is that the right word? I think so. A radius of a AA battery. And you stick it in and it has a little depressing button that gets pushed by the door when the door closes. So door opens, light goes on, door closes, light goes off. Problem solved. I did it for my hall closet, for linens. I did it in all the guest room closets. And it's a perfect solution to a small little problem. Nice. And I use the new i3 dimmers for this. So the i3 dimmers, if you're not familiar with it, Insteon released new products. These are, in fact, the products that they co-designed with Nokia. I should say the, the products that Smart Labs co-designed with Nokia. And when this company purchased the assets of Smart Labs, they had the rights to use those. So... These are now being distributed as part of the i3 line. So cool stuff. Nice. That pretty much wraps up my lighting. Okay. So next category, uh, what have you been up to in window coverings? Not as much as usual. I'm a big fan of automated window coverings. That Two things that I've messed with. One, I've had this product called My Smart Blinds for a long time. I used them in my old house and I know we've talked about them before. I think you said I cost your brother-in-law a lot of money or something. So I ended up reusing some of the My Smart Blinds motors that I had from my old house. The new owner didn't want them. So I took them, salvaged them, pulled them out of the old blinds and went to install them in new blinds that I was installing in our new home. Well, I hit a bit of an impasse when I learned that they're not compatible with cordless lift blinds. These are the blinds where you just kind of put your palm under the bottom rail, lift it up, and they go up automatically and hold in place, and then you pull them down in a similar fashion. There's too much stuff going on up in that head <laughs> rail for this box to fit in there and fit around all of the mechanisms that need to be able to move freely up in the rail for that type of blind. So we had only two blinds, the ones that I installed in my office, that didn't have that. And these are traditional blinds with just a pull rope or whatever to lift them up. And I installed them in there. And what I love about the MySmart Blinds product is that it has like a temperature sensor. It's not like a temperature sensor. It is a temperature sensor <laughs> that will automatically adjust the blinds to a preset setting based on how warm 
the blinds are getting. So when there's sun coming in and it's getting extra warm in there, then they can accommodate it. So I set them up so that every afternoon they go to about a three-quarter tilt so it blocks the sun from my eyes sitting at my desk. And then if it's extra warm out, then they actually close, which is just a really nice way of keeping the office comfortable and not getting too hot from the sun. Makes sense. And then the other product that I installed were the Eve Motion Blinds. I reported on these when they were first announced at CES a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now. These are available from select blinds in the U.S. and other manufacturers around the world. They are HomeKit-based. They also have thread in them. So while they haven't yet been matter-enabled, they're supposed to be matter-compatible. Want to bet if I'm going to switch them over to matter? Uh, I'm guessing you wouldn't want to at this point. (laughs) Right, right. Not only do I not have a need to, but with my luck with matter so far, I'm not really planning on converting anything to matter that I don't have to. So I installed these in our bedroom and they're motorized. So I have a couple different scenes set up in HomeKit that will open them together, close them together, close them at a certain time of day automatically. We can also include them in a vacation scene so that they'll open if we're not here. So it, they're they're very flexible. The, I like them a lot. I think they look great. They're very durable. They're blackout shades. One major complaint. They're loud. Yeah. They're really loud. I'm surprised how loud they are. And I don't know if you remember, but we spoke with a manufacturer of blinds at Cedia, and yes. they were an Eve Motion Blinds-based manufacturer. And we were talking with them, and I said, they're so loud. And she's like, yeah, they kind of are. <laughs> <laughs> Not even going to argue with you. Right. Right. So that's pretty much it. On window coverings, I haven't really done a whole lot more. I was really interested in the motorized shutters that Hunter Douglas was showing off at Cedia. So there's a chance I may be looking at those for like a bathroom or something. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Whenever I go in on shades, I'm going to go all in. And I guess maybe that's my shade and window covering problem is I'm not willing to do it piecemeal like you are, which is probably the smart way to do it. (laughs) I'm going to hold out until I can do it all. Big bang. Yes. All right. So how about the category of water? So only a couple of things here. I've talked about flow before. We have flow sensors that I've used in the beach house and I use them in the old house. So I finally installed them here. We have a sump pump and I installed a flow sensor right near where the sump pump is. We also have a waste pump for our basement bathroom. And so I have a flow sensor near that in the utility room as well. And that's just kind of like a peace of mind thing. You know, I don't right. ever expect that they're going to 
do anything, but if they do detect something, I'll know and I can panic about it then. <laughs> right. You know, I have some of these as well. I believe they're the wire cutter. At least last I looked, they were the wire cutters pick for for water sensors. Um, yeah. And I just need to put them in in places now. So they're also in my box of shame. And what's nice about them is they come with an extension. So you can either use the device itself and just sit it on the ground, or you can mount the device on a wall that comes with a wall mount and then attach the extension to it. It just has like a little mini plug that you plug in. And then the sensor stays down or the end of that extension has a little sensor that stays down on the ground. Or you can have both on the ground and actually have water sensing in two zones, if you will, in that general area. So it's a nice, flexible little product. And then in my office, I decided to experiment with a touchless bathroom faucet. Now, we've talked about the smart faucets in the kitchen. I love mine. I used it all the time for measuring exact amounts of water or getting water to a particular temperature before I'd fill a pot, stuff like that. I found it incredibly useful, as well as it being a touchless kitchen faucet. So I figured, all right, well, let's try these in the bathroom. Surely, touchless bathroom faucets have gotten better, right? They can't all be as bad as the things that we're used to in the airports. So I <laughs> bought one from Kohler, right? They're the brand. They are kind of like the premium consumer brand that you can buy at retail. And um, it's awful. It's just oh, no. absolutely awful. So it doesn't necessarily sense your hands underneath it. You have to raise your hand to kind of be just underneath the bar that comes over with the faucet so that it does sense your hand. And then when you're done, it doesn't turn itself off until the water's been on for two minutes. If you want to turn it off, you have to again put your hand under the bar that comes out to, to deliver the water in the faucet. So you risk getting your hand wet again to turn the faucet off and potentially splaying water around the deck of your vanity or whatever, just because of how it's designed. It's just so bad. I just don't understand how this product came to market like this. Who tested this and thought, yeah, this is great. We're going to make a mess. <laughs> it just makes no sense to me at all. Well, sounds like uh, poor design. Yeah. So I have a feeling that's going to become a sunk cost that I'm just going to use as a write-off. And at some point in time, because it was business expense, it's in my office, at some point in time, I'll try another brand that hopefully doesn't suck as much. 
I mean, technically, these are all business expenses. You know, you write about it, you talk about it on a podcast. It's a business expense. There you go. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> all right. How about the category of entertainment? Ah, yeah. So I think when we last spoke, I mentioned that I had purchased an ARC soundbar for our family room. This is pretty much the only main place where I'm doing any serious audio entertainment stuff these days. So at Christmas, we upsized the television. I know we've talked about this on the show. I got a 65 inch of the LGC one that we both have and love. And it's a great TV. And I just wasn't loving the sound from the sound bar alone. So then for, I think it was my birthday, I got the Sonos Sub Mini to add into the mix. Makes a huge difference. A huge difference in the overall depth of the sound. It's just so much better. So that was a very, very good investment. I'm very happy about that. And then recently, we just purchased new furniture for the family room. And so that meant kind of a reconfiguring of the space. Now we had furniture that kind of came to the ends of the room and it made it a little easier to potentially hide additional speakers if I wanted to add additional speakers into the mix without being too obvious about it. So we talked about it a little bit and I asked some folks over in the home tech Slack what they thought and I ended up getting some Sonos Era 100s. Bought the stands for them. So they sit maybe about a foot higher than our end tables that are next to the sofas. And they sit right against the back of those. So they're really unobtrusive. They're out of the way. You really kind of have to look for them. But wow, what a difference they make. You know, we talk about soundbars being impressive. But the thing about a soundbar, particularly if it's bouncing sound off for surround behind you or above you, is it needs flat surfaces to do that. And my family room is kind of like your family room, which is open to the kitchen. Right. So you have a soundbar in there. There's nothing to bounce rear channel sound off of for you to hear it as a rear channel. And adding these additional speakers into the room just makes a huge difference. So, of course, you know, I had to pull out Maverick and play some scenes there to test it out. And, uh, yeah, we're keeping them. And they were approved by the design committee, otherwise known as Edward. So, <laughs> yeah. You mentioned that you you had discussed this on the Home Tech Slack, and you actually posted a picture of your living room. Yeah, and I must say you have you have this beautiful piece of artwork on your chimney here, and kind of brick. 
that would be a great place to put the TV. No, <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't. No, I'm yes. not putting a TV over my fireplace. Not I didn't happening. say it has to go over. It could be, you know, centered, whatever, but. Not happening. I know. I had to say that just to trigger you. Well, but it's I funny. Had, that was my immediate thought was I was like, yeah. you know where I would put a TV in this room? Yeah. Centered yeah. Well, on that fireplace. I mean, believe me, Edward and I have gone around and around about this. There's actually a problem with doing that besides the fact that I don't like a TV over a fireplace. And that's that the builder, like most builders do, put Boxes behind, in fact, that painting that you see, there are boxes behind it. And it's network and it's power. Well, that's great. But they're so high that I would have to have the television much higher than where I would want it to be. And yeah. that's really my biggest objection for having a TV over a fireplace, besides the fact that if you use a fireplace, not good for your television. Yeah, true. We don't use ours very often. Yeah. The fireplace, not the television. <laughs> <laughs> and then also in that space, I've added to just the color ambiance. I mentioned that I bought the, or that again, one Christmas, I got the Hue Sync. And with the Hue Sync, I now have a couple of Hue Play Bars. Those are just the little foot-long color bars that you can put on the floor to reflect off the wall. And I have them in front of each of the windows in that room. So you end up with a pretty cool effect kind of with the TV in the corner and the windows on both walls that are adjacent to that corner. All of those window wells light up with whatever's on the television now. Cool. Yeah. It's a pretty cool effect. I'm I'm really happy with it. Very nice. All right. How about in general decor? Yeah. So this one, I, I didn't know where to put something. So I created this category. And so using lighting as design, I guess, is what I would think of here. And there are a couple products that I'm using for this purpose. One, again, if you're watching the video, the nano leaf lines behind me similar to the nano behind me right so i first learned about these from you adam and i liked them and i wanted to get some so i purchased them wow over a year ago i think and i went and eventually i installed them i didn't want to install them because to install them i'd have to kind of Take some wall. I have soundproofing all through this room and I'd have to take some of the panels off to hide the wires. And I didn't really feel like getting into all that. So I put it off forever and ever. Well, I had some time one weekend and I installed them, took the panels off, put the panels back on, stapled them back up and um, they didn't work. Oh no. Yeah. They didn't work at all. I didn't know what the problem was. They worked before I installed them, I checked to make sure. Like I took pieces out of the box, plugged it in, make sure it worked. Yeah, okay. Got it all installed, set it all up, got it all wired, hit the hit the wires. They didn't work. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm going back and forth with the Nanoleaf support, which was incredibly good. And they helped me troubleshoot and said, okay, we think it is probably your controller. So they sent me a new controller. 
And that didn't fix the problem. So then I went digging, literally, tore the panels off again. Turns out that when I reapplied the panels to the wall, I nail gunned right through the wire. Oh, no. When I was installing. So it was my fault. So I got back to Nanoleaf and said, oh, I found out the problem. It was the power line. I nicked it when I was installing it. So I've ordered a new power supply online on their website. It's really easy to do. I said, I can send this controller back to you. And they're like, yeah, don't worry about it. You can just use it if you ever need a new controller. Nice. Which was really cool. Yeah. So kudos to Natalie for great customer support. Yeah. We should have Jimmy Chu from Nano, the CEO of Nanoleaf on as a, a guest sometime. Nice guy and I'm sure make for a good guest. Cool. I'm sure he would love to hear that you had a great customer yeah, absolutely. service experience. Absolutely. All right. Uh, how about there, in... There's more. There's more. Oh, there's more. Sorry. So last Christmas, we did the uber obnoxious thing of hiring a company to come put lights on our house. They didn't show up. What? So I said, okay, well, when are you going to come now? Oh, okay. Well, now we'll come on Monday. All right. So Monday comes. They don't show up. So I eventually get in touch with someone who tells me that they lost their roofer, not to an accident, but that he had quit. And oh, okay. they basically need a licensed roofer to do some of the higher points for when they install these things. They can do like lower areas, but they need somebody who's licensed to actually be up on a roof to do that sort of stuff. So they said, we can do part of it and it'll be less expensive. And I'm like, no, at this point, forget it. Give me my money back and we'll just do something else. So I went and bought some Hue Outdoor Light Bars. I don't know if you're familiar with these. No. These are um, three foot long, maybe a little bit longer. They put out an enormous amount of light in all the Hue colors. Think of a big wall washer similar to what you might have in front of a commercial building, except they're just on the usual hue wire and that's strung around all over the place. And so I bought a couple of those, put them in front of the retaining walls that we have on the front of our house and our steps and everything and had some fun colors in the front there for the holidays. And then I had two strands of twinkly lights the brand Twinkly. These are those programmable lights. And I basically wove them up and down on the windows in my office, which faces the street. So I ended up with an entire curtain of Twinkly lights that you can then put designs on or you can have patterns on or whatever. So that ended up being our Christmas lights. Not what I really wanted, but it got us through one season. And this season, I think they're going to be... Uh, Halloween lights. So Yeah. I mean, you hit on something that I actually just had a, a conversation with my wife about, which was, I said, I'm kind of waiting for the right, 
the technology to get there, the price to come down. But eventually what I would like to do rather than put up Christmas lights every year is have permanently installed lights that are controllable, yep. color changeable, addressable. That you can, addressable, and then you can change for all the holidays. Yep. And so I think you're you're taking steps in that direction. I just kind of want to wait until standards shake out and you know price gets right, and then we'll then we'll go all in. Yeah, we saw some products. Along those lines at Cedia, I think at this point they are too expensive and frankly, a little bit too janky. I think they need to make them look a little less obvious. It seems like the LED technology we have today should allow manufacturers to create a strip of lights that could go along your roofline that you wouldn't necessarily notice when they're off. Right. I think that makes sense. All right. So that's it for decor. Okay. Now on to the kitchen. Yeah. Two things in the kitchen. The first is that we had, well, we have Thermidor appliances that came with this new house. It's a new build, all new appliances, everything but the microwave for some reason was a connected appliance. The oven the dishwasher, the washer and dryer, the refrigerator and freezer, all connected appliances. So Thermador and whatever the company is that owns them, Bosch and all those other brands, decided that they were going to force all their customers to switch from their login that they've been using to the best I can tell a third-party authentication service that was separate from what you were already using to get into your app. And they were trying to encourage you to do this, and I just skipped through it every time. And finally, they said, all right, you can no longer get access to our app if you haven't switched to this new authenticator. And you know what? I don't want yet another authenticator on my phone. I don't need yet another authentication service for a specific purpose like this. So we've basically been going disconnected on all of our Thermador appliances these days. Now, the only disadvantage to that is that I can no longer go in and do things like have it set so that if we lose power, which we do occasionally, that the clocks will automatically reset themselves and stuff like that. That would be an instant one for me. <laughs> Such a pain. It is a pain. When we lose power, like it's guaranteed a month minimum that I'll go before <laughs> I fix all those clocks. That would have been worth it for me alone. It's a hassle. Well, so get this. Thermidor, in their infinite wisdom, set up their oven in such a way that if you don't set the time on it, you can't even turn the gas on. What? It's all, you know, everything is drive by wire. So the knobs don't actually open a valve. They trigger a, an electrical signal that opens some, I don't know if the galvo is the right word, but basically your signal to use your range is blocked until you set your time on your clock. Who cares? 
cares if the time is set on the clock? Come on. Huh. I wonder if it's like a a warranty thing or like so they can keep internal records or. No idea. I don't know. That's really weird. I mean, I'm not connected anymore. So it's not like they are able to keep any sort of tabs on it. So who knows? It's very frustrating. I'm yeah. not at all happy about it. But uh, I, I would not buy these appliances myself. Or if I did, I just would do like I did and not connect them. But a little bit frustrating there. All right. Now, while I'm talking about ovens, I'm a fan of smart ovens. I think you know I had a June oven. Well, we kind of cycled our June oven out and Edward took the June oven to the office. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more uh, after our break. But I cycled it out because Tavala had another deal that I couldn't resist. So if you're not familiar with Tavala, they are an oven and food service company. And the food that they make is usually just delicious. They had a deal that uh, you could take advantage of where you'd pay, I think it was $50 for the oven if you subscribe to their food service for six weeks. So basically the printer ink model. Right. And I love the Tavala oven. It's a good product. I don't think it's as powerful as the June. It doesn't have all the processing capabilities and all of that, but it has more features. It's a, it's a combi oven, meaning that it cooks with both steam and heat and it claims to be an air fryer, but it's not a very good air fryer. But it's great at reheating things. It's my preferred device for reheating anything that I'm going to eat as opposed to putting it in the microwave. Because within 10 minutes, you just get this nice, fresh, and not dried out because it's using steam food. So I'm pretty happy with that. And I've been using that, I think, for about six months now. So always trying to keep up with some of the latest in the smart kitchen space. And we haven't seen a lot of smart kitchen appliances lately. So I was happy to add this into the mix. Sounds good. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break for sponsors and then we'll return with more about what's going on in my smart home. All right. So tell me a little bit about you know, some of the issues you have with, with the setup that you, you have going on. What are you talking about? Everything works great. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> you know, I think one of the things that I've been most frustrated by along this journey is that anytime you kind of mess with your Sonos setup, particularly if you're using Wi-Fi as your means of having your Sonos speakers on your network, they can kind of wreak havoc with oh, your yes. Wi-Fi network. Oh, yes. They conflict in channels and they take a lot of bandwidth and multiple times, including earlier this week, I was experiencing problems with my Wi-Fi. Now, it's not all Sonos's fault. I'm adding more and more of these Wi-Fi devices that we were just talking about. So my Wi-Fi is pretty stressed. I have a Unify Wi-Fi system. I've used Unify for years and years and years. 
and I had it running off of my Fios router. So my router was Fios. It was a dummy router. All it did was bridge the internet service to my Unify controller, which was on my Synology box. And that handled all of the different Wi-Fi devices. I didn't use any of the Wi-Fi provided by Verizon. But I was still having problems even after I solved my initial wave of Sonos stuff. So I decided, you know what? Maybe I should try Eero. I hear great things about Eero. So I bought some Eero Pro 6Es. Okay. Pretty much the latest ones that you can purchase today, I believe, until the new 7s that we talked about come yeah. out with uh, come out soon. But I installed those. Those worked pretty well, but I found that the coverage wasn't quite as good. And one of the differences there is that the way they're, they were set up, I don't know if they can't have or if it wasn't easy for me to provide a connection for each access point through an actual wire. Oh, no. That's how my Euros are set up. Is that the design? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think you can go either way, okay. but all of all of mine are hardwired. Okay. All right. Well, I think my challenge then was probably that because of where all of my wiring is for network stuff, it wasn't really feasible for me to have these in wired positions. And yeah. I don't want to get into that because it'll just get me angry. So- I I ended up using the thing where they just mesh together and then repeat the signal. And I was having some problems with that too. And so I bought a fourth one. I had bought the three pack and I bought a fourth one to see if that would help. And it helped, but it wasn't great. And I was going to tell you that was your problem. Not enough euros. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I got another euro. Didn't it, it helped, but it didn't fix everything. So I decided to take a more extreme approach I really do like the Unify system and it gives me a lot of information and control over how stuff is set up. Whereas Eero tries to simplify it all by hiding it. And I didn't really like that. I didn't like the experience that it gave me that it just, oh yeah, it's just, it's just, it's there. It's working. Don't worry about it. And I don't know if you call this an upgrade, but I ended up switching to a Unify Dream router. Now, my intent was to go buy a Unify Dream machine. I don't know if you've heard of that or if you remember when that came out, but it's this, you know, it looks like a, a small Apple Pro trash can. And okay. it is a pretty powerful machine that was basically designed to be the controller and the router in your home so that you didn't have to run this controller software if you were running Unify in your home because Unify needed this software. This had it all built in, plus it acted as a router. So I ended up buying the newer version of that, which is the Unify Dream Router. I understand it's not quite as capable as the original one or something about it isn't as good, but by getting rid of the Verizon router, all my problems went away. Huh. I still have all my existing Unify hotspots around the house or access points, they call them. 
And now they just communicate with this Unify router instead of my Verizon router. And all my problems went away until I bought new Sonos speakers. But that eventually <laughs> worked itself out too. But yeah, so a little bit of a challenge there for me. And now I have four Eero Pro 6Es that I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do with. So I'm sure you can find a home for them. Yeah. All right. So there's that. Have I mentioned that matter doesn't work in my house? <laughs> I don't think it's just your house. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. So pretty much every device I have that is matter-based or thread-based has one problem or another. And I can't tell you why. I don't really have the patience to troubleshoot it. I'm just kind of swapping stuff out as I encounter these problems or just not using the devices. And that's frustrating because you know I'm not giving up on matter. I do think that it is the right approach. Now, until they fix the technical problems with it, it's not going to be right for anybody. But, man, it's just been so frustrating. Do you have anything matter in your home right now? Yeah, I own a bunch of matter stuff, but actively using, no. Like, I turned some of them on for testing, but nothing is in active rotation. Yeah. Hold out on that. Yeah, I get, I will after hearing <laughs> about this. Now, I've also been having a number of really weird things going on in HomeKit. And I know that these things are not uncommon, but I have a number of automations that sometimes work and sometimes don't. I have lamp timers, maybe one automation for one room, one automation for another room. Sometimes the one room works, sometimes it doesn't. The scene works perfectly. The scene that it triggers works every single time. It gets weirder than that. The two blinds that I talked about in the bedroom from Eve, those are paired in a scene to close together and open together. Those scenes work perfectly every time. The automation that triggers the close scene every single night only closes one of the blinds, even <laughs> though it's calling the scene. Wow. Every single night. Super weird. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. I just don't get it. It's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on there. I, I will say it has gotten better since the platform update that they rolled out. I think that was 16.4 or 16.5 that finally came out. Right. So that did make things a little bit better. I have also learned from the HomeKit Slack group that we're both a part of that when you have automations set up, you need to very purposely select all the days that you want them to run, even if it's all days. So go in and intentionally select the days so that they're all selected instead of just letting it default. And that's supposed to help. I don't know. 
I don't know if it does. Huh. Yeah, weird. So what I really need to do is tear down some of these automations, start again with some of them and see if that helps. But it's frustrating. You know, you just want this stuff to work. And it's just one more thing that I hear about. The light in the back bedroom didn't go off last night. Yes, I know. I know. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. All right. Then I mentioned the June oven. So we took the June oven and sent it to Edward's office. Edward's been using the June oven there for maybe the last eight months or so. And in that time, we've gone out of warranty. It had a two-year warranty and we are now out of warranty. Well, if you're familiar with the June oven, it operates from a touchscreen on the front glass. And yeah, that screen died. Now, they don't have it connected to the network. And I'm not going to tell them, well, you know, connect it to your network. Actually, they wouldn't be able to connect it to the network because they don't have the screen to do it. So I told them to bring it home. Edward brings it home. It automatically connects up to our network again, no problem. I can see it in the app. I can control it from the app. The oven is fine, but you can't use it as an oven without an app, which is just kind of ridiculous. So I think it's going to become a science project. I think I'm going to end up taking it apart. Now, I did get in touch with June and said, hey, um, can you guys fix this? I know I'm out of warranty. I'll pay. Yeah, no, we don't have any way of fixing those. Okay, I'm going to back up from my mic. What? You put an Android screen on an appliance and you don't have a way of repairing it if the screen dies? Right. Your answer is throw out the $800 oven? That is just the most ecologically irresponsible thing I've heard from a smart home company in at least a month. <laughs> <laughs> That's a comically short amount of time, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. Now, to their credit, they offered to replace the oven for me at no cost. And they did. While out of warranty. That's While great. out of warranty. So that's great. And now my old one is going to be a science project because I can't bear to just take it to the electronics waste dump without at least trying to see if I can make it work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we know plenty of handy people. We, we can figure out a way to, <laughs> to replace that screen. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. But it's just, just so frustrating. Just absolutely frustrating that it's so deeply tied in. I mean, I bet I could detach the door and detach the connector. Why, can't, why don't you have doors? And I would buy a whole new door if I had to. Right. Like when my laser engraver had a problem the first week that I had it and I reported it to the company and they literally sent me new parts that I was going to have to take the whole thing apart to install myself. Yeah. I mean, I do think repairability is an important thing going forward, but I can understand how sometimes a company has to weigh do we want to make this way more expensive, which is already really freaking expensive, right? or do we want it to be repairable? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you remember 
session that I did at the Smart Kitchen Summit a couple years ago called Don't Brick My Fridge. It was exactly about this stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly about this stuff. So very frustrating, but good on June or Weber or whoever's responsible there at this point for doing right by a customer. I, I totally appreciated that. All right. What's next? You know what we haven't talked about? Thermostats. Yeah. I have <laughs> I have two thermostats in the house. I've even installed a Nest thermostat on one of them. Never connected it to the internet. Yeah. Never connected it to the app. It's just a really pretty thermostat in the second floor HVAC zone. So part of my stubbornness there, for lack of a better way of describing it, is that ironically, I want to wait for a matter thermostat. Ironically, I want to wait for a thermostat that is going to work with everything. If I'm going to spend $250 on something like this, I want it to work with everything. Now, I do know that the Ecobee thermostats are a lot better now, and they are pretty much compatible with everything. So that is something I may look into, but I so love the design, the feel, the usability, the intuitiveness of the Nest thermostat. And I'm just holding out hope that they're going to come out with a new version that is going to be more compatible with stuff. Uh, we could do a whole episode on thermostats. I, I still feel like Nest is, they were super innovative early on and I don't feel like they went anywhere. Like they were the best thermostat that money could buy in 2010 and yeah. the innovation stopped there. Yeah, no, uh, so. I agree. I agree. And it seems like, you know, they commoditized their own product. They changed the industry. I mean, you could credit them with so much in terms of smart home or smart thermostats and how much people are willing to spend on stuff. And then they ultimately end up commoditizing the thermostat space by coming out with their own $99 thermostat or $129 or whatever it costs now. That yeah. isn't even really all that smart. Right. And they forgot to keep going on the high end. Yeah. Would you like to be able to see people at your door on your thermostat? <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, yeah, you're referencing a news article about the Ecobee that is going to allow Ecobee doorbells to display who's at the door on your thermostat. I don't think that's as ridiculous as everybody seems to feel it is. It's a screen. It's in your home. In many cases, it's on your way to the front door. Yeah. So I think it's kind of clever, actually. That's innovation. It may not be useful for everybody, but I think that's innovative. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I would go there, but, you know, and I was mostly <laughs> making fun of it. But I know. I, I do like their newer thermostats, and that's what's on my walls. So, yeah. But, but I can understand your holdout for, even though matter may be rocky right now. It clearly still seems like it's the path for the future. And so I fully support and understand what you're talking about is 
when it comes to major purchases, it doesn't feel like it makes sense to go, you know, especially in things you want to work in a collaborative way. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to make huge investments yep. uh, right now. Agreed. So the other things that I still want to do around here, I want to do more window coverings. I mentioned that I'm interested in those uh, automated shutters. That is going to be a bit of an expense, so I don't know when or if that'll happen, but they're really cool. And then I mentioned that also that I haven't been connecting my Insteon stuff. It's just all kind of islands of interconnected products without being connected to the larger smart home. And I do want to get some Insteon stuff connected up, particularly now that they're coming out with new devices. They have a new keypad out that's just beautiful. They have that dial controller that I think is really cool, a traditional dimmer form factor. I'm really holding out because we know that Smart Labs, when they announced the Nokia product line, had a path to supporting HomeKit, that that was on their roadmap and that they were working on that. But it's not here yet as part of the offering from the new company, Insteon. And I think very likely until that happens, I'm probably not going to be connecting my own devices that are Insteon-based into the overall system because it means yet another Homebridge plugin. The Homebridge plugin for this is pretty powerful, but it runs yet another server and service on your box, on my Synology in this case, and depends upon that. And it's just getting too complicated. I just want it to be compatible with HomeKit. And I I don't know when we'll see that. And Insteon, to their credit, is not promising anything right now. They know their priority is to get products out and keep their existing customers happy and start building up existing or start building up a customer base again. And before they start doing new stuff like that, I think they have higher priorities. So it may be a while on that. So that's it. That's kind of what I've been doing. That's what I'm planning. We went pretty long, but we do have a question or actually some follow-up from our previous episode. This comes from Peter via Mastodon. And he said, regarding Smart Home Show 222, that was our last episode with Jenny Tui, I think we like the idea of Alexa being part of an actual smart home. But have we forgotten about the by-the-way behavior? Oh, no. I have not forgotten <laughs> about that. <laughs> it still haunts me. I can just imagine, he goes on, as soon as routine suggestions are enabled, it's going to be nonstop. I've noticed. You have this light and this sensor. Do you want me to do whatever? I've noticed you have this door lock and present sensor. Do you want me to do whatever? For those of us with dozens of smart home devices, it could be a rough week or two. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Now, I, I want to go back to something. The, the by-the-way behavior, if you don't 
already know this. This is a good reminder to folks. You can tell your Amazon assistant to stop by the way. Okay. That's the command for it. Stop by the way. And it will temporarily stop those add-on suggestions at the end of something that you've already asked it to do. So that's a good thing. But here's a really good point. Like if these sensors are going to be, or if these uh, assistants are going to be smarter and the mechanism for suggesting ways of hooking stuff up is going to be through voice, that could get pretty annoying. Yeah. I don't know that voice is the right method there. Or maybe the experience needs to be something more like, give me suggestions for X, that kind of command where you're kicking it off rather than really it suggesting things. I would think the app would be much better for this if they put in the time and effort to to build out that experience. You mean if they actually improve the app? <laughs> if they put in the time to the app, period. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, interesting thought and uh, appreciate the feedback, Peter. Thank you. If you have some feedback or some questions for the smart home or about the smart home, rather, you can send them our way with the hashtag Ask Smart Home Show or you can send them to our email address at feedback at smarthome.fm and we'll pick one to include in the show. All right, Adam, this has been a long one, but I'm glad to finally catch everybody up on what's been going on here. And it wasn't as long as the five shows that we did for you, so I don't feel too bad. That's true. Yeah, it's just one episode. But um, since we can't go on forever, and if people want to hear more from us, where can they hear more from you? Uh, You can find me on various social medias, at Adam Justice on Twitter. I'm on Threads. I'm on Mastodon. You know, search for my name. You're in all the places. Yes. How about you? I am just on Mastodon. You can find me there as Richard Gunther. And I'm still the only Richard Gunther from what I can tell. The Smart Home Show is part of technology.fm, a collection of tech podcasts that includes the Home Tech Podcast, the Spoon Podcast, and my other show, Home On. And of course, smarthome.fm is where you can find our show notes and details about each episode. And as promised, Adam has that full list of everything that went into his home theater in the show notes for episode 221. So you can check that out if you're interested in some of those products. And then if you want to get in touch with us, you can send us feedback at feedback at smarthome.fm. You can find our show everywhere you find podcasts and do us a favor. You can leave a rating or review, but more importantly, subscribe and tell your friends. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us.